On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we break down everything as it relates to the 2017 Big Ten Tournament here in Bloomington, Indiana. We're joined by Maryland SID Taylor Smythe as we name our Turp of the Week and talk about Maryland's Big Ten honors. Also, a special edition of Fair or Foul breaking down other parts of the Big Ten Tournament, which we also do with Chris Webb, a writer for 10innings.com. Finally, we predict the Big Ten Tournament champion. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 38th edition of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Jake Eisenberg alongside Justin Galanti, and we're joined for this episode by Media Relations All-Star Taylor Smythe. Taylor, thanks for coming on the program with us. Jake, Justin, it's always great to be here. I love the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of the podcast. As always, you, can, you can subscribe on iTunes by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. Um, that'll get episodes sent straight to your device. We'll start this week. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the Big Ten tournament. We're in Bloomington, of course, for the tournament that'll be played starting on Wednesday and then followed through to Sunday. But we'll start with our Turp of the Week from the final week of the regular season. And it almost seems like a very obvious choice this week. Um, we're going to go with Brian Schaefer, the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Yeah, Schaefer had a great year. He's dominated Friday nights for Maryland basically since three weeks into the season after they got done with the stretch of you know the LSUs of the world. But he's been outstanding. He's not only won so many games by himself, but he's given the Terps great length. So not only do you win Friday night, but it sets up the weekend, keeps the bullpen fresh. He's been the tone setter all year long. John Sheff's talked numerous times about how impressed he is with what Brian Schaefer's done, and he's really performed to the extent that he's going to get his name called pretty early in a few weeks uh, in the MLB draft. Schaefer finished 7-3 and three with a 1.67 ERA. That ERA first in the conference and sixth nationally. Um, also led the conference in innings pitch with 97, led the conference in whip, .91, second in strikeouts with 98, third in opponent's batting average, really just lit up all the leaderboards, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it's really the culmination of a career trajectory that's kind of gone on the path that ends in a conference honor such as Brian received, you know, kind of emerging as a freshman, a little inconsistent early, and then having big moments, coming out as a Sunday starter and, you know, doing well in big starts, especially in a lot of rubber games. And then he was just sensational all season this year. And specifically in the start against High Point, you know, I think he wasn't bad early, but it wasn't, you know, unbelievable. Brian Schaefer gave up a couple runs, and then he just mows down the last 15 guys of the game when he's, you know, getting no run support. It's just impressive the way the guy just has stuff bounce off of him and just continues to compete at a high level. And I know all three of us can kind of say – He's just a great kid, and it's just nice to see a guy who works that hard as in a great kid get an honor like that. So, Turb of the Week, Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, guy deserves all of it. First Maryland player to be named Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Of course, the Terps have only been in the Big Ten for three years now. And you bring up, you know, Schaefer's ability to pitch well in big spots. Some of those big spots have come in the Big Ten tournament. His really his coming out party was that start against a red-hot Illinois team in the 2015 Big Ten tournament. And then last year had arguably the best start of his career against Indiana in the third game of the tournament when he won a complete game shutout, allowed just three hits. Um, so maybe we'll see more of the same with Brian Schaefer against Iowa on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that game. You're going to have the Big Ten pitcher of the year against the Big Ten player of the year in Iowa's Jake Adams. And look, Iowa has a really, really strong offense, but if anybody can shut them down, it is Brian Schaefer. We've seen that all season long. The one thing I want to note, um, and it's kind of ironic because we're here in Bloomington, 
Schaefer finished second in the conference in strikeouts behind Oliver Jasky. That was the only thing holding him back from winning the pitcher's triple crown. And you wonder what would have happened if that start that Friday night against Indiana didn't get halted after two innings by a lightning storm. Or else, who knows, maybe we could talk, be talking about Schaefer. Look, hands down, Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. But for him to get that and potentially would have been able to be in first place in every statistical t category known to man for a pitcher, I mean, that would have just been crazy. Also would have hit that milestone of having 100 strikeouts on a 100-innings pitch, which is sort of like a nice benchmark for an elite college pitcher. Um, definitely would have had that had he gone more than two. I mean, uh, Justin and I were there. It wasn't the elite Brian Schaefer that night. He was kind of grinding through those first couple of innings, but certainly would have gotten the couple of strikeouts they needed and would have gotten the length. So definitely a good point to make. Would have had that maybe over Jasky, who struggled a little bit um, late in the year, but just you know, a really impressive year for Brian. So Brian Shaver is our Terp of the Week. He's also the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Worth mentioning the other Big Ten honors that were announced today. Tyler Blome, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, first Maryland player to earn that award. And Blome really had a strong freshman campaign. Eight victories led everybody in the Big Ten Conference in freshman nationally. 3.46 ERA, struck out 57, walked 28. Was really solid both on Sundays and on Saturdays throughout most of the season, maybe not as much so the past couple of weeks. But if you're, as a freshman, to be a consistent weekend starter, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Tyler really gave the Terps a steady starter that they weren't sure they were going to have. They knew Bloom and Schaefer were kind of the two guys that were going to pitch on the weekend. And Tyler emerged as that third guy. And, you know, what a job by Tyler to sort of live up to. I think expectations that became pretty high, especially when you get drafted a little bit early by your hometown team, a team that everybody knows in the Maryland area. Um, that kind of heightens the expectations for a guy. He really lived up to them and then some. I mean, it is so tough to pitch as a freshman for a good team, you know, on, on the weekend. It's just a lot of pressure. We saw Mike Schworn do it a couple of years ago, but, you know, Mike Schworn's arguably the best pitcher in Maryland history. And Tyler Blome did, you know, not necessarily as good of a job considering how great Schwarn's year was, but a fantastic job and earned that honor. Very well deserved. And I was really impressed by the trajectory of his freshman year in the sense that he came into fall ball and the winter kind of a borderline weekend starter right in line with Hunter Parsons and then Blome emerged as the Sunday guy and then had a successful transition to Saturdays. And as you mentioned, did a great job this season. Uh, pitching for a good team on the weekend is not easy. He did it and there's no doubt that Tyler was a huge part of the middle of Maryland season where they were just an incredibly dominant team. Other Big Ten honors for the Terps, Marty Costas was named first team all Big Ten, one of three outfielders on that team. Costas led the team in batting average, hitting 336, also added nine home runs, led the team in RBIs for the second straight season. Costas finished with 39 on the year. Really, you know, a mainstay in the lineup at the number three hole for every single game this season. Made 52 starts in right field, made that one start in center field. I mean, without Marty Costas and that consistent presence, this is a much different season for the Terps from an offensive standpoint. For sure, and another guy that lived up to pretty big expectations trajectory-wise after being a freshman All-American last year kind of did even a little bit more than I think a lot of people expected from an average perspective. I mean, you knew the power was going to be there for the entirety of the year. I think most of us thought he'd actually hit double-digit home runs in the regular season, but to hit pretty much, I mean, he's on the lower end of what he's been doing. He's pretty much hit from 345 to 355 for pretty much the entire season and anchored that Maryland order. Um, very impressive from a guy who obviously was not a, you know, a heralded recruit, and I think Maryland's coaching staff, and you'll get to the last honor, but to put four Maryland guys on the all-Big Ten team, especially four younger guys, three freshmen and sophomores, is pretty impressive from a player development perspective and a recruiting perspective. You're taking guys 
from within 20 miles, 30, 20 to 30 miles of your campus, and you're making them into all-conference performers, then that's how Maryland's going to continue to be successful. That was really one of the sort of underrated parts of this announcement that came out was the amount of Maryland guys that are on the team. And I think the coaching staff can now take that out onto the trail and say, this is what we can do if you guys stay home. And when you want to change the culture of a program to become a, a perennial NCAA tournament team and regional contender and maybe host in a few years or something like that, you need to get – high-level recruits, but you also need guys who, as Taylor mentioned, are unheralded to show up, and Marty's the po the poster boy for that. I mean, came in, people didn't know what to expect from him, didn't actually travel at the beginning of the year last year, turned into a freshman All-American, and then didn't do anything resembling coming back to earth this year. Just was the main threat in the middle of that lineup all season long. And as I said with Tyler, but it's the same thing. That's that stretch when Maryland was dominating the middle, let's say two months of the season, there was no tougher out in the lineup than Marty. Maybe an interesting note, last time Marty Costas hit a home run came at Bar Kaufman Stadium here in Bloomington where the Big Ten tournament is, so perhaps we'll see some fireworks from him. Now, Taylor, I think you make a really great point as, as all four of these guys that have the Big Ten honors, A.J. Lee, the third team, all Big Ten, we'll talk about him in a little bit, being from the state of Maryland or in Lee's case, Washington, D.C., or, or Millersville, went to school in D.C. But also, Justin, you make a really great point that they're not heralded guys necessarily. And you mentioned Marty Costas being from Baltimore, not necessarily a heralded recruit. Brian Schaefer wasn't recruited out of high school either, and he's now the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year and potentially a top-five draft pick come June. So I think it's a huge testament to what this coaching staff has been able to do, at least from a, from a player development standpoint, like you said, Taylor. For sure, and I think you have to give credit to Brian, too, for, you know, when you have to change pitching coaches before the biggest season of your college career, that can be kind of tough. And obviously you have to give a lot of credit to former Maryland pitching coach Jimmy Bellinger for identifying Brian and then develop, developing him. Then you have to give credit to Ryan Fecto, who came in with a guy that was very hyped coming to the year. I mean, Brian was the preseason pitcher of the year from a lot of publications, and Fecto made him just that much better. So both of those guys deserve a lot of credit for development. And we always talk about what Rob Vaughn does with the hitters. You know, coaching – People like to say that you just kind of bring in talent and you let talent play. And there's something to that in pretty much every sport. You have to have talent to win. But you also have to bring, as Justin said, you have to bring guys in that kind of don't have all the tools put together yet, don't have the total package, and mold them into form. And that's what the coaching staff did with, I would say, three of these four guys. Blum obviously kind of just lived up to what he did. Obviously, you have to keep that going. But really incredible job, especially with Marty and Brian, two guys. I mean, A.J. was the Gatorade player of the two year. Two Twice. Which – D.C. high school baseball isn't unbelievable, so it, but it's still a big honor to, to take that right. twice, and A.J. was a two-way player in high school, really good player, um, but really a great job by the coaching staff. You have to give them a lot. Well, the thing about A.J. Lee is that even though he was a more heralded recruit coming in than maybe Brian Schaefer or even Marty Costas was, didn't really live up to any kind of expectations last year in the limited playing time that he had, just the 19 games, but this year, absolutely astounding growth from A.J. Lee, who finished the season hitting 323, seven home runs, 31 RBIs, really showcased some power that really nobody thought was there. Right, and so many college coaches say that the biggest year for a player is between freshman and sophomore year because now they're used to being on campus, used to playing college baseball, and they have a great sophomore year. That's exactly what happened with A.J. I mean, for Marty, it was a different situation. He came and lit the world on fire right away. That didn't happen for A.J., but that's not a knock on him. He made adjustments this year and was outstanding, and in a year where that the Terps came into it thinking A.J.'s a solid glove at third base and we'll take what we can get with the bat, he turned into a dynamic hitter in the lineup. And we've talked about this, but 
for him to be able to transition from the nine spot to the six spot and keep up the level of hitting he was at when he was hitting ninth is so impressive because when you're in the nine spot, you're going to get better pitches to hit. Pitchers are going to relax with you. But when you're in the six spot, that doesn't happen, and A.J. hasn't dropped off one bit. And even this past weekend, hitting in the two-hole. Right. I mean, A.J., the, the torrid month of April, the numbers, I, I've, I've read them a, a few times now, and they're still kind of mind-boggling that he hit 400 over 18 games in that month with four home runs, three doubles. He's on an 11-game hitting streak right now that he's going to carry into the Big Ten tournament. Five of those 11 games have been multi-hit affairs. Yeah, I can't expand much more on what you guys said about A.J. The one thing I'll say is, for A.J. to have been a All-Big Ten person as a sophomore, I think you would have profiled him as a guy that set the world on fire defensively and did enough offensively. He did the opposite. He came on offensively and ended up doing well defensively, but his hit tools what got him there, not his defense, which is pretty incredible for a guy that we all just said, hey, if A.J. Lee hits 260 and you get great defense, you're okay. Not A.J. Lee hit 325, and you also got great defense. That's a pretty impressive combination. So we're going to talk to Chris Webb from 10innings.com a little bit later in the podcast about all things Big Ten tournament. But we're going to do a special edition of Fair or Foul and have a bit of a Big Ten tournament focus on it. Maryland, the fourth seed in the tournament, they'll take on Iowa in the first round. That's Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern time. We'll be on the air at 8 o'clock for Terps pregame, so be sure to tune in then. Well, this is our Big Ten Tournament edition of Fair or Foul, and we'll start kind of with our, our first statement. Justin, I'll, I'll defer to you here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I know Taylor's a big Fair or Foul guy, and he's, a, he's our <laughs> first Fair or Foul guest. Fair or Foul, yeah. I, I, and it, you and basically have the deciding vote in the, here. In the, and in the Big Ten Tournament, you can review Fair or Foul, so it's just like I'm rev giving you guys video review. How about that? All right, so let's do this. Oh, first statement. No on that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> first statement. Even though... They are the number one seed. Nebraska should not or is not the favorite for the Big Ten tournament because of their issues on Friday night with Jake Hohensey. Really struggled of late. Ended the season with an ERA over four. And frankly, hasn't pitched so well since a few months ago when he pitched the game of his life against Maryland out in Lincoln. I, I think that's fair. and But I think it's fair for maybe a different reason than you gave. I do think that they have issues on Friday night. They don't have that bonafide ace pitcher like Maryland does or like Michigan does or quite frankly even like Penn State does with Sal Biasi. I think the biggest reason why Nebraska is not going to be the favorite is because I think Michigan might be the favorite to win this tournament. I think Michigan of all the teams has the well they're playing with the momentum heading into this weekend or this week rather and I think they also have the best pitching depth which is such a crucial and sometimes overlooked part of being successful in tournament action. Oliver Jasky is pretty much the one guy who took votes away from Brian Schaefer being Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Ryan Newtoff is right behind him. Jackson Lamb and Mac Lozer in the bullpen are two guys that have been absolutely outstanding this season, both of them named to all Big Ten teams. And I think Michigan, you, you should watch out for the Wolverines. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing with that, and I, me and Justin talked about this a little bit yesterday at the airport, is what you said, that, that bullpen depth that Michigan has is really big in a tournament like this because if you have to turn around and start starting bullpen guys, you need quality arms in there. And with Mac Lozer and Jackson Lamb and Tommy Henry and Jace Vincenna, all those different guys for Michigan are really, really quality arms and have pitched in big spots. And the real thing with Michigan is can teams get to their starters? Can you get Oliver Jasky on a tough day? You know, 
they've now started Alec Renard, who's been a little up and down. They still have Ryan Newtoff is involved, Hendrickson is involved. They just have a lot of guys, and some and that cannot be good if they're not good. But when they're all pretty good, uh, you have the ability to win, and it'll be interesting. Darren Nurse had said at the press conference today that he got asked about whether he was going to flip his starters or not, and he said, no, we're going to stick with what we've been doing. Um, the theory being that would they pitch Myers as the first pitcher out instead of leaving him to a third game that you could theoretically not even play if you go 0-2. And, and he said, no, we won't. we're confident about our guys, and we don't want to tax Myers' arm in center field pitching him in the first game and having him play like four or five games, which I thought was very, very interesting. Um, and I, I kind of liked that from Erstad because you don't want to you know, shove Hohenseed to the side you know, in the biggest – time of your year you know you kind of kill his confidence if you take him off so but I would agree I think Nebraska's little bit of lack of pitching depth the bullpen isn't unbelievable um probably doesn't make them the favorite even though they won the conference title and the one interesting thing about the conference and I'll wrap it up with that is is there's so many so few games separating all the top teams it's not like Nebraska ran away with the conference so there's there's a bunch of different teams that could win uh, which makes it a very interesting tournament. And I don't know if it was you or me who said this in the airport yesterday, but there's a difference between best team in the conference, or there can be a difference, between best team in the conference and team that's best set up to win four games in four days, five 100%. games in five days. Or or regional. Like, right. It just depends on what the format is going. Right. So, like, like, we could sit here and say, I think Nebraska, if they got to a super regional situation – is the best team or has the best chance to win a two out of three series. But as a group, they're just not as well set up, I don't think, and it seems like you guys don't think, as Michigan to win a tournament where you're going to have to win four or five games. Well, the thing about Michigan is, well, they are the highest-ranked team in the Big Ten, and I, that's not a fluky thing. But we talked about kind of their pitching depth. they got four guys, Jasky, Hendrickson, Newtoff, and Renard, who all have double-digit starts. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the only Big Ten team with four guys that have double-digit starts or more, which is an impressive thing and a big thing going forward. Not to mention the fact that, you know, between Akeo Thomas, Michael Berdar, and Drew Lugbauer, you've got three infielders who are all Big Ten first team. Right. I mean, Michigan had a great year. There's no doubt about it. And they are, if I'm not mistaken, the only team in the Big Ten that hasn't done some shuffling with their weekend rotation. And they've had a consistent midweek guy, so it, it hasn't been a carousel on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and that's huge for them. And that's why I think that they are fully capable of winning a fourth and fifth game without being overly taxed to going into it. Okay, our our second fair or foul statement, and I'll I'll serve this one up to you guys. Maryland has the most to lose this week in Bloomington, and I say that because the Terps have lost each of their last four series, an RPI in the mid 30s. Right now, pretty much safely in the tournament, but going 0-2 this week, even going 1-2 this week, could put the Terps on the bubble, and this might be a team, based on how they finish the season, that could be bubble out as opposed to bubble in. Well, last week when we discussed what record Maryland would need to have between the High Point series and the Big Ten tournament in order to be worried on Selection Monday, I said 1-4, so that would require them to go 2-0 and out in the Big Ten tournament. Um, I think that if either Maryland or Indiana goes 0-2 this week, they will they will miss the NCAA tournament. That's just how I feel about it. Um, I'll say your statement is fair because I think Maryland has been a ranked team this year and from day one looked like an NCAA tournament team. Um, so them missing 
the field would be a little bit more of a disappointment than Indiana, who kind of looked like they were going to be on the outside looking in for quite a while, probably played their way into this point with some good series against Michigan and Maryland and a midweek win against number two, Louisville. But either team, I would say, if they go winless in the Big Ten tournament, is going to be very worried on Selection Monday. I'm, yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly. I actually think if Maryland goes 2-0, I, th I think they're still in, as bizarre as that sounds, even though I just think it's very hard to play yourself out in the conference tournament, and it's easier to play yourself in. The one I think is in trouble is Indiana if they go 0-2 because they, play, they finish sixth overall in the league. And I think in a league that is potentially only going to get four bids, it's very hard to go 0-2 in the conference tournament and then be sixth in the league. That would be sort of my statement about Indiana. And they've won like 31 games. And so you'd be essentially 31, like pretty much, I, I'm just, I don't have the number in front of me, so forgive me. I they'd, think be, they'd be 32, 22, and 2. It's a tough record when you're the sixth team in the Big Ten, no matter how good your RPI is. Regardless, their RPI is very good. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a test case to see what the committee does between accepting a teams from the lower teams in the Big Ten or taking teams, you know, like a South Carolina who's at the bottom of the SEC or a team like that. So, Can I ask you, though, um, you were saying how you don't think you can play your way out of a conference tournament or in a conference tournament. Does it depend who Maryland plays? Like, let's say – Purdue knocks, in, knocks off Indiana, uh, Nebraska on Wednesday. And then Maryland's two losses, if they happened, would be Iowa and Nebraska, neither of which is really a bad loss. However, if Nebraska wins the first game and Maryland loses the first two, it would be Iowa and Purdue. And Purdue's probably not a great loss. So would that change your perception? And then also, um, how would it change if a team that's currently not expected to make the NCAA tournament, wins the Big Ten tournament. So that would be Purdue, Northwestern, a bit. Minnesota. Yeah, it would, that would change. I mean, circumstantially, that would change it. I think, I, think you're, I think your lasting impression of the last game can really hurt you from a conference tournament perspective. That would be my caveat to what I said before. Like, if you lose – if you go 0-2 and you lose 8-1 against Purdue in the last game, that's a tough last, you know, moment to give to the committee. Similar to, you know, the Terps were in a much worse position last year – but they gave themselves zero chance after losing 11-1 to to 8-seeded Iowa in the last game. You're just not getting in it. No one thinks you're an NCAA tournament team after that, no matter how your pitching was or whatever the case may be. So I would agree with that. I think circumstantially things could change, but I also think the key for Maryland is the first game. I think if Maryland wins the first game, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, no matter how the rest of the tournament goes. And I don't think anybody is looking at this first game against Iowa and not being confident in Brian Schaefer going out there and doing what Brian Schaefer has done as the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. One point that I want to make in regards to Maryland and Indiana, and this doesn't necessarily bode well for Maryland, it's that Indiana has a strength of schedule of 30. This is according to Warren Nolan. Their non-conference strength of schedule 10th in the country. Maryland, despite setting up a tough schedule, ended up 72nd in the nation in both of those categories. So Indiana has played a significantly tougher schedule according to some metrics. Not only that, but head-to-head, -head, Indiana won two out of three. And yes, they came in Bloomington with all the weather shenanigans that happened you know, back you know, a few weeks ago. But I think optically, if you look at these two teams head-to-head, -head, say they were to both go 0-2, a committee might be more inclined to, to lean towards Indiana a team that has head-to-head -head wins, 
that finished the season a little bit stronger than Maryland did, Maryland having lost its last four series, and that could be a very interesting conversation. But I think you're right. I don't think Maryland has too much to worry about right now. Going two and out would make me worried, but I still think they'd be in. Uh, and I, the only other thing I would say is Justin was saying that you have more to lose if you're Maryland because of your preseason expectations, and I would agree with that. I think the other the thing about that that maybe helps Maryland is the way this committee works is you have 10 guys on the committee. Different guys have different regions, so not everybody knows about different teams. If you're Maryland, you've at least been in the national headlines for most of the year as a preseason top 25 team, a team that's cracked the top 25 during the year, the team that got discussed to host a regional. So if people are reading little snippets, most of the time you're for, for a team like Maryland, who's not in the SEC, the ACC, your good press is much more prominent than your bad press because when you're playing poorly, to be honest, people nationally don't really care if you're struggling in the Big Ten. They're just not that worried about it. So that could also help Maryland. Indiana has really never been discussed the entire year as a top 25 team. So to then look at Indiana and be like, all right, they're 32-24-1 with a great strength of schedule. And credit to them for making a good schedule. I think that perception is going to be harder for them to overcome in the Big Ten in Maryland. There's another there's another point to be made here about Maryland's history in the NCAA tournament over the last few years, sneaking in in 2014, getting in in 2015, and making Super Regionals in both of those years. So in terms of a taste in the mouths of committee members or national perspective, you see Maryland as a team that has gone to the tournament, had success, drawn well, and is something that the Terps could do again. And you have to mention the fact that Kevin Anderson, the athletic director for Maryland, is on the committee. I mean, not that that means they're going to be in just because he's on the committee, but he's on the committee, and that can't hurt you. It, it, cer it certainly helps. And one thing that's interesting, we haven't talked about it a lot because of end results of the weekends, but look at the last four weekends, right, where Maryland has lost the series. You start with Indiana. They are a grand slam right before a rain delay away from winning that series 2-1. to one. Illinois, tied going into the ninth inning of Game 3. Things go a little different. You win that series. Northwestern extra innings on Sunday. Again, I mean, if we're talking about one pitch different in three different series, this isn't even a question. We could still be talking about hosting a regional. That you, that's yeah. that's incredibly it's an astute point, Justin. Moving it's 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 just going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Moving on to our final fair or foul for this Big 10 tournament edition. This is actually one that that Taylor came up with, so we're gonna let we're gonna let him <laughs> him serve this one up to us. We we wrote it down for you, so you didn't have to forget. Indiana, who just to start, very hospitable and great people. They really have done. They've done a great job with all the press conferences, the facilities, everything yeah, like that. And we're great when me and Justin were here protecting us from a tornado. <laughs> Indiana, <laughs> my statement would be Indiana has an unfair advantage by playing the tournament at their home field, Bart Kaufman Field. I think that's fair, but I don't know that it's fair to knock Indiana for it. No. It's, I'm saying Does that make sense? It's it's more it's not necessarily un, like are you so here's diametrically a, opposed to this kind of tournament being on a campus site is essentially the question. So a question to you would be like if this tournament were at in Omaha, would you say Minnesota would beat Indiana game one, but because it's here you think Indiana's gonna beat Minnesota? Like it, it is that your thought process? Um a little bit yes, in the in terms of does Indiana See that well. The thing is, is Indiana hurt themselves because they're playing at 10 a.m. So 
the crowd isn't really going to be as much of a factor as I think it would be if they were playing at 5. Mm -hmm. I think you get a lot of people there if you're playing at 5 here in Indiana. I think there will still be a fair amount of people at 10 a.m., but it's 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. There's only so many people that can go to a baseball game at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. So that kind of, I think, hurts my argument a little bit. Not that I don't even know if I would make the argument, but um, yeah, I think I think I would be much more likely to pick Indiana to win because they're playing at their home stadium than against Minnesota at Omaha. But I I think Minnesota is going to win because I think they have the best starting pitcher. But you know, <laughs> well, I think it's a fair statement because not necessarily of a crowd home field advantage, but because of the actual field. I mean, when you and I were here about a month ago, we saw how many guys on Maryland overslid second base on a rainy day. Tomorrow's yeah. a rainy day. I Indiana knows that. And then the other thing that I got into with Chris Webb, and you'll hear that in a little bit, but not necessarily Indiana as the only team, but this stadium, Bart Kaufman Field, favors home run hitting teams because it's tiny. It is so small. Yeah, I mean, Eisenberg, Eisenberg can hit a few home runs in a season there. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, I mean, and, and, how and many, there, was not, there was not a home run that was hit in the series that we were here that stayed in the stadium. It's it's small, and that's the way they play. Right. That's Indiana the thing. is could, a home run hitting team. That's the thing. They could be in a, a home run hitting park and not play that way, but they have Didolo and Sowers and Miller and Lloyd and all these guys that can all hit home runs, especially to the right. I mean, Marty Casas would hit well, – I mean, Jake Adams is a scary proposition at this field. That's what I was going to say. right-handed pull power hitters, I mean – you can just hit balls onto that street. That ball just, I mean, we saw, we sat there and just watched balls fly out of there. So that is definitely interesting to watch. I, I think the other part of it is, and it's actually kind of weird because Indiana is staying in the hotel we're at. So they're not like staying in their normal digs, which I think is a good idea. It's like when you're a football team and you, and college and Maryland goes to a hotel and keeps everybody together. But you just also have more familiarity with all the different surroundings, with locker room, with, you don't have to get too used to anything. So, that's always, I think, an advantage as opposed to when everyone goes to Omaha and everyone has to get used to it. Or everyone goes, even when Minnesota's a target field. Right, I was, was going to bring that up. That's not an advantage because they don't play there. It's so also, su it was such an expansive place a couple of years ago that, that the home crowd advantage wasn't really a big factor. Same as last year at TD Ameritrade, Big, big Red traveled really, really well. But the Nebraska fans weren't necessarily overwhelming anybody else because of how expansive TD Ameritrade was. I think here you're going to see really decent crowds from all the teams because it's there's it's somewhat easy to get here you know indiana purdue's not too far northwestern's not too far both those teams are excited having not made the tournament for the past couple of years northwestern first time since the early 2010s michigan will travel south pretty well minnesota we'll see nebraska always travels I mean, I, well. i was looking it up yesterday it's a five and a half hour drive from ann arbor and over 10 hours from lincoln so They'll drive ten hours from Lincoln. They'll drive ten hours from Lincoln. I so okay. I think the biggest <laughs> way this would this would really be an advantage is if they get a little momentum going. Right. So if you're get, if they get to a Saturday semifinal, I think that's going to be a big loud crowd for them, and a title game is going to be a huge loud crowd for them. So it's really how far they get determines how much the crowd I think comes into play. Because like I said. It's going to be tough for anybody to be awake at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And we've been a part of these now early morning games at some of the – last year the Big games. Ten tournament or the Michigan State game earlier in the year when we played – oh, Old Spice game. When we played – You got it eventually. Yeah, when we, that went over my head for a second. When we played, you know, Michigan State at home, I mean, that was essentially whoever woke up first won the game. And that's what those 10 a.m. games can become. And – It'll, yeah, you know, Mike Schwarn struck out 16 Indiana guys, I think, before they were like, oh, 
I guess we got to play. I mean, that's it's tough. Right. It's tough to right. play at 10 a.m. When we've been a part of getting up for those, it's just difficult. So I guess I guess my final rendering on this fair or foul statement is I'm going to say that your statement is foul, not because it's not an advantage for Indiana. I just don't think it's an unfair advantage for Indiana. I think yeah. the Hoosiers have an advantage, but it's one that is somewhat circumstantial because there wasn't a host for this year because the deal with TD Ameritrade doesn't really start until next year and then for the years to come. And I think Indiana, you know, really did a great job stepping up, hosting it, you know, being in touch with everybody. And I'm not really sure where else it could have been. And I think there's also something to be said for the fact that in many of the Olympic sports, this is the situation that happens. We saw the Maryland women's lacrosse team hosted the Big Ten tournament a few weeks ago. The men's lacrosse team had to go to Ohio State. And both of those teams, you know, Ohio State was the second favorite behind Maryland to win, and Maryland women were the favorite, and they're playing at home. So it's not like this doesn't happen. That's the other part right, I think that makes right. it not that unfair is that this is pretty much what's consistent in most of the other sports in the Big Ten that do this. You could Based have made an argument that men's basketball had an unfair advantage playing at the Verizon playing Center. Playing at the Verizon Center. And, and other than the fact that Maryland basketball normally stinks at the Verizon Center, but <laughs> historically. But I think most of the – but then when you look at college baseball, it then becomes a different argument. The SEC is in Hoover. The ACC is, I believe, it's in Louisville in, yeah, this year. This year, but Norma that's because normally they got moved in Durham. Durham. It's normally it's in Durham. normally it's normally in so Durham. So that's always on neutral. The Big Twelve sites. is in Oklahoma City. It's always in neutral sites. Right. So that's when you look at college baseball. The the AAC is in Clearwater. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than most of the major conferences in college baseball. Pac-12 doesn't have a tournament. It's also just a completely different collegiate sport, seeing as though everyone's classes are done and baseball still has a month left of its of its season. Right, and, and the last point I'll make on this is that, yes, Indiana has an advantage, but I would, at least for the first few games, because of what you said about the timing of the game, I think the advantage has to do with the actual field more than crowd and things like that, and I think there are other teams that have just as big an advantage playing at a bandbox like Bart Kaufman Field as Indiana, you know, your Iowas, your Marylands, your Michigans. Yep. So with the Big Ten tournament coming up this week, starting tomorrow, Maryland plays at 8.30 Eastern time. Maryland, the four seed, taking on the five seed, Iowa. We caught up with Chris Webb, who's a writer for 10innings.com, covering all things Big Ten baseball. He's been covering this conference for the better part of the last decade, and Justin spoke to him really about all things Big Ten tournament. joined by Chris Webb, the lead writer for 10innings.com. And, well, he's written about Big Ten baseball for quite a while now. Chris, thanks for joining us on the NBN podcast. No, thank you guys for having me. You know, just um, I'm always impressed by the job you guys do covering Maryland and you know, the Big Ten itself. And always good to be able to talk to people knowledgeable in the sport and ahead of such a big week here in the conference. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. And Big Ten tournament upcoming here in Bloomington. Before we talk about the tournament specifically, how would you say the league was as a whole this year? Because personally, you know, I wouldn't call it a top-heavy league because the champion was not decided until the last day of the season. I also wouldn't call it a deep league because there were some bottom dwellers there. I guess I would say balanced, but what would your assessment be? You know, I think balance is right, and I, I, I had that thought yesterday just trying to get my thoughts of what we, what is that what we saw in. It was, you know, one of those years where I think he, for a few weeks, uh, Minnesota looked great. Uh, Michigan's looked good. Maryland's been there. You know, you've seen Indiana and Nebraska of late. You know, Iowa, they've been consistent in the last month. So, you know, it, it hasn't had the same feel as maybe 2015. You know, obviously when, when Illinois had that great year or 
prior to that when Indiana with their Kyle Schwarber, Sam Travis team. But, you know, also being around the Big Ten for the last seven years now, it hasn't been a bad year at all. So I think balance is right. Just, you know, if you don't step up to the plate, bring your A game, you can lose to anybody. You know, anybody can jump and beat somebody. And um, it doesn't really have that feel as, oh, my God, wow, you know, the Big Ten has six, seven, eight teams. But it was really, I think, balanced here. I think that's a great way to put it, just balanced. I think the large or the perception going around is that going into this Big Ten tournament, the league has four teams that look like they'll get bids to the NCAA tournament unless somebody surprising wins the conference tournament. Those four would be Nebraska, Michigan, Maryland, and Indiana. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, if you look at some of the national writers going to last week, and um, there may be just a slight concern with Maryland who's coming off of four straight series losses, but I think you look at the body of work that they've had the entire year, you know, they're undoubtedly one of the top four teams in the conference. And just the way that they went to the task for in the Big Ten, you know, they're there. So, yeah, I think you have four teams. You know, I don't think you, you really take away from what they have done of late. Uh, Michigan's been steady the entire year. Uh, Nebraska, Indiana, they've been hot here over the last two months now. So, you have four. Um, people have asked me, you know, if somebody jumps up and steals a bid, quote-unquote, uh, be it one of the, the, last, the lower four seats here, the conference is hurt, and I don't think so. You know, let's say Minnesota or Iowa, they win the tournament. I think those top four are still safe, and, you know, at that point, you just reward the conference for having five quality teams. So now let's talk about the tournament, and I can't think of any better way to do it than just going about it team by team. So let's start with the regular season champion, Nebraska Cornhuskers. I mean, they obviously won the regular season title, so they are a very good team, and if you're the number one seed, you're thought to be the favorite. Um, Personally, the way I've looked at the Cornhuskers lately is that their Friday night guy, Jake Hohensee, really has not pitched well of late. His ERA is over four, ending the regular season. So even though they won the league title, any concern about Nebraska? Um, that would be the concern. You hit on the head there. You know, over the last three starts when Jake just hasn't been as sharp. And, you know, up to this point, I would say that's been one of their strengths for Nebraska is just the weekend rotation, the one, two, three of Hohensee. Uh, Derek Burke, Camper, and Jake Myers, it's, it's been consistent from the from the start of the season. You know, they're the only team in the conference who hasn't really adjusted their weekend rotation. So that, to me, has been a strength. So now, like, if you have Jake Owens, he's scuffling a bit at the top of the rotation. You know, that strength is kind of neutralized a bit. But, you know, they're still a good team. It's a team that's not going to be flashy offensively. They're not still a lot of bases, not hitting for a lot of power. But they put the ball in play, and they have an aggressive play style. So, you know, they, they kind of they come in as a one seed, and they maybe not – they maybe do so not being as dangerous as previous one seeds, but I think what you get with them is just a team that's not going to beat itself. And, you know, and if Ono State gets it going, obviously that's when you your first game in your belt. But, um, so, yeah, they're an interesting one seed just because they've had been consistent, but there's also that the area where they can be playing better or they just have that feel of a knockout number one. See, the way I look at it is there's a difference between best team and team best set up to win a five-game tournament. And if Nebraska can get by game one against Purdue with Jay Cohensey, they have very good Saturday and Sunday starters, maybe the best in the league. You mentioned them. So do you think they shape up as a team that's really well set up to win a tournament where you have to win four or five games uh, a little bit different than, let's say, a super regional where if you lose game one, you're in big trouble? Yeah, I mean, that's that's key. It's just that, that first game and just how quick or not quick you have to go to your bullpen and you know, for me, that, that's the area of Nebraska that I have the biggest concern is their bullpen. So, you know, if Hohenstein can go seven innings, you know, that's great. But uh, to, to your point there, I think there's other teams that are set up to, for a 
I guess for a, a greater chance of success with the tournament setup that we have here, as, as you mentioned, just having to win four or five games, I think you have to rely a lot on your bullpen and a midweek starter here and there, and that hasn't been Nebraska's experience this season so far. The number two seed is Michigan. They finished the regular season 16-8. and eight. Uh, I don't know how to say how many games they were behind Nebraska because Nebraska was 16-7-1, and one, so basically the difference was a tie there. And Michigan has a really good Friday night starter in Oliver Jasky. He led the league in strikeouts with over 100. Very impressive season from him. And they have a deep bullpen, and a lot of people say that putting the Big Ten tournament aside, Michigan's the team coming out of this conference that has the best chance to do damage in a regional. But what are your thoughts about them here in Bloomington? You know, I think that that's spot on. And to me, they're kind of the opposite of Nebraska, where you know, they have Alder Jasky, who's been pretty strong the entire season. They've actually had some rotation, I don't say issues, but just they, they jumbled up a bit, where between Ryan Newdolph, Alec Bernard, uh, Michael Hendrickson, they've kind of interchanged those guys Saturday and Sunday. But as you mentioned, they have a very, very deep bullpen. You know, Mac Lozer and Jackson Lamb both finished the year with more than 20 innings, but with, with a 0.0 ERA. So that speaks for itself there. Um, you know, so they have a really deep bullpen that can throw multiple guys at you. Tommy Henry's another guy that they can roll out there. Um, so, you know, they're set up, I think, for tournament success. But they haven't had the started pitch performances of late to kind of give you that confidence. So, but as you mentioned, I, I think that is fair. If you look at the big picture as far as what happened the entire season at Michigan, it's probably the best team. I mean, a team that, from the outside, looks to have the, the, the greatest chance of something coming to say tournament or regional. So, you know, I, I think you're spot on there. And for me, it, it's for the key, like Nebraska, you know, where for them it's Owen C and how late he can go into the into the tournament or with that first start. It's for me with Michigan. It's who's that two, three, or four guy, and what can I get out of those guys? Minnesota earned the number three seed in the league this year. However, they are not looked at really by anyone as an NCAA tournament team. The Golden Gophers, Maryland did not see them this year. They have a really, really good ace in Lucas Gilbreth. Brian Glowicki, their closer, saved 15 ball games and won two more this season. So he was outstanding. But can you just talk about for our listeners uh, who haven't heard or seen Minnesota this year, tell us a little bit about them. You're going to get with Minnesota a very tough, a very consistent, a very gritty offense. You know, one through nine, they're going to roll out between six or seven left-handed hitters, depending on if they want to platoon or not. And it's a team that's going to just foul off pitches. They're going to compete every at-bat, a lot of two-strike hits, a lot of two-out hits. And it's just a team that kind of wears you down. You mentioned Gilbert. He's been outstanding as their Friday night guy, their, their ace. But outside of that, uh, they have a freshman righty, Brett Schultz, who has a, a very high ceiling, but being a freshman, very inconsistent so far. And their Sunday role, it started out being Toby Anderson, and he was roughed up greatly this year even though he returned that Sunday role, so they kind of expected more out of him. But of late, they've gone to Ben Meyer, who's done an okay job, but just hasn't pitched at the level that they kind of expected going through the year as far as the rotation. So, you know, it's a team that I saw them early on in the year when they opened the season at UC Irvine, and it immediately jumps out that it's a team that's built around its offense. It's just a very, very tough offense, very tough out up and down the lineup. They have an ace in Gilbreth, but for them – to succeed is just what are they going to get out of the rest of their, their week in rotation. Even Lowicki, as you mentioned, 15 saves. He hasn't been as sharp of late here in Big Ten play. At one point, he had an ERA of around .5 through mid-March through early April, and then of late, he's been scuffed up here a bit in Big Ten play. So, you know, the Gophers are coming into the tournament after losing two out of three to Purdue. They had they controlled their destiny for the Big Ten championship. All they needed to do was take that series two out of three. Nebraska helped them by falling Friday night to, or in the first game to Penn State, but 
Uh, Minnesota fell twice to start the, se- the series against Purdue and Southern Grove first to third. So you know, maybe they come with a bit of a chip in their soda, you know, especially being last year defending champions being so close to going back to back. But they're not playing their best baseball late, and it's going to be interesting to see what they kind of bring to the field this week. Looking quickly at the Minnesota offense, they have a number of guys with impressive batting averages, over 300. However, they've only hit 30 home runs as a team this year. And I was going to bring this up later, but no better time than the present. Bart Kaufman Field at Indiana is a very, very small park. When Maryland came to Indiana to play the Hoosiers earlier this season, there were a ton of home runs hit in that series and not one of them actually stayed in the stadium. They all went out onto the street. So do you think Minnesota is a team that's disadvantaged by the fact that the long ball is not so much a part of their game? I, I, I do, and as we kind of go through the seeds, one through eight, you know, Barkov and Phil, I, I think it plays the hands of the next few seeds. But you know, before we get there, yeah, I, I think it's spot more. Minnesota, they're more gap-to-gap. If you look at their stats, you know, they, I think they have three guys with at least three triples. You know, there's a a good job of putting the ball in play, you know, hugging down the line, going to the gaps, the power alleys, but not a lot of offensive pops. So, you know, in a week where I think we're going to be temperatures in the mid-70s, low 80s, where I think it's favorable for a lot of long balls, I, I don't see that in Minnesota. It's just not their, not their playing style. Now we come to the number four seed, the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, you're listening to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, so this is probably what you want to hear right now. The Terps got off to a slow start to the season out of conference and then went about two months of playing pretty dominant baseball. Uh, And then four series in a row they've lost. You mentioned it. It went Indiana, Illinois on the road, Northwestern at home, and then at High Point. First of all, we've talked about this quite a bit uh, on the podcast and and in other forums, but do you think the Terps are in trouble if they go 0-2 this week of missing the NCAA tournament? I do. It's it's less what they have done, and it's more just kind of history of the NCAA tournament, the Big Ten, where two years ago, Ohio State, they, they hosted Illinois in a, in a meeting of ranked teams uh, early April, lost that series, ended up losing the next week to Maryland, followed that with a series loss to um, Indiana, and then they went 0-2 in Minneapolis, and they went from an RPI of high 20s to being outside the NCAA tournament, even though they had an RPI below 45, where it's you know, you think, wow, you know, that's a regional team, Big Ten, and top 40 RPI, but just the way they finished that year two years ago, they were now outside looking in. Go to last year, the same thing with Michigan. They had, a, they had an RPI of under 40, but I believe they went 4-7 and seven in the last 11 games, and they ended up being the last – or one of the, the last teams out – or the, one of the first teams outside the field of 64. So, you know, whether it's fair or not to really focus in on those last three or four weeks where you can say, hey, you know, all teams go through a bad stretch here or there, it does seem like the NCAA committee puts a little more emphasis on how teams are finishing and playing going to the NCAA tournament. So you add four straight losing weekends on top of an 0-2 showing in the Big Ten tournament. Unfortunately, I think that does just resonate as not being one of the best teams from that large spot and would have Maryland on the outside of the field. One guy that has not struggled at all during the stretch or at all this season for Maryland is Brian Schaefer. He's been incredible for my money. He's hands down the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. What have you seen from Schaefer this year, and how excited are you to watch him on Wednesday? You know, I'm there with you. If, I'd be shocked if he's on the Big Ten Pitch of the Year and just had that thought for the last 52 weeks now, looking ahead at what he can be <laughs> as a junior. Just, you know, I saw him. I mentioned the Ohio State-Maryland series, and he pitched a Sunday game, and I think it was only three or four innings there, but you just saw a lean, lanky guy with high leverage who could just pound the bottom of the strike zone. 
you know, sit comfortably 92-93, and that's just what he has been for three years now. Just, I think he's been as consistent in the picture by seeing the Big Ten here in the last decade. So that's, you know what you're going to get out of him. It's going to be seven or eight innings between seven and ten strikeouts, a walk or two, you know, maybe scatter four or five hits. And that just seems to be like a typical Brian Schaefer line. And, you know, for, for him to lead that uh, Maryland rotation where they, where they need a, a great week here in Bloomington, I, you can't ask for a, you know, a better ace to start the week off. So, and I'm excited just because you're seeing one of the best pitchers in the country. And, you know, with the draft coming up, it's kind of the last go around for just to see Brian Schaefer here in Big Ten play. So, you know, I'm expecting a, a typical Brian Schaefer game. Um, you know, obviously, Indiana, or Iowa comes in with a very, very vaunted offense led by Jake Adams. But I think he's the one pitcher in this conference that kind of neutralized what Iowa does. Now, Maryland's whole season has really been predicated on seven or eight innings and a win from Brian Schaefer Friday night. Then you get six quality innings from Tyler Blome on Saturday and then the bullpens fresh for after Blome and after Taylor Bloom on Sunday. Uh, Taylor Bloom has been pretty consistent in what he is all season, which is, you know, a good Sunday starter. Tyler Blome, the freshman, was excellent at the beginning of the year. His last few starts, he's run up a really high pitch count early, given up a bunch of hits, and just hasn't been able to work out of the jams he was earlier in the season. And around College Park, people have been trying to think of an explanation other than the freshman wall, quote-unquote. Do you have one? You know, I don't think as much as the freshman wall. I just think as you get later into the year, kind of the book's out on you. You know, and, and I've had this thought, and I, um, you know, I appreciate the question because it allows me to, to bring it up, where, you know, we praise college baseball with it being so much TV nowadays, and you see VT to go, and pretty much every game streamed in some form, where if you have a freshman who comes in, there's no book on him. You know, especially with a guy as talented, you know, as talented, he can come in there the first half of the season and just, you know, be a, a dude. But as scouting reports kind of build up, you can kind of see what he did. You know, guys around the conference has VT on, they can see him turn on the TV the previous week. I think the book kind of gets out on you, and Tennessee's pick up, and you're not surprised by what he has when he gets to the mountain Saturday. So, you know, th- there probably is something to the freshman wall, you know, where you're pitching more innings in, in the season than you ever have in your life. But I also think just the way informa- information can get out, the more looks that guys have on, on players these days, I think that also is a, is a contributing factor to it. Offensively, the Terps have kind of struggled for timely hitting of late. Zach Jankarski was listed as day-to-day but missed all three games last weekend. They hope to get him back for the Big Ten tournament. But just as a whole, what do you think are the chances that this team can turn it around? Because talent-wise, they've proven um, for a large portion of the season that they were the best or one of the best teams in the conference, ended up finishing fourth, but just one win less than the team that won the conference. So do you look at Maryland as a team that can win this Big Ten tournament? Oh, absolutely. And for for me – I go back to, you know, last year where I think Ohio State surprised a lot of people, but to me they didn't just because they had the best player, Ronnie Dawson. They had a very offensive team, and the history of the Big Ten tournament has been that. You know, as much as people say pitching defense wins championships, you know, that Ohio State team was a double machine last year. You know, you look before Michigan and Minneapolis, what Indiana did for the two years there. It just seems like this time of year, the, the, I don't say the ball is juiced, but, you know, the offense kind of picks up in the conference tournament, and the, and the team that can roll out five, six, seven guys who rack up extra base hits, they find a way to win. So you look at Maryland, you have, you know, an A.J. Lee. Obviously, Kevin Smith, the home run power he has. Marty Costas. I think Nick Dunn's just due to get back to himself and what he can do. You know, Jen Karski. It, it's a team that it's, it's deep offensively. You know, it's, it's a very power-packed, offensively explosive team. So 
yeah, I think they have more than enough to go through this go through this week. And you know, it just takes one game, you know, to get hot. And you know, who's to say that you know Brian Schaefer shuts down Iowa? You know, they, they turn back them in a very close game, and all of a sudden, you know, that's the spark that gets it going. So you mentioned the ballpark of Barkoff and Field and how it plays. You combine that with with Maryland lineup one through nine. I think the conditions are right to see the Terps kind of run through the week. We're talking with Chris Webb here, lead writer for 10innings.com, about the Big Ten tournament. The number five seed is Iowa. That's who Maryland will take on in game one of this tournament at about 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday, barring any rain and scenarios like that. Before we get to Iowa's offense, which is really, really impressive, I think that the Brian Schaefer-Nick Gallagher pitching matchup is the best of the four on Wednesday. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I... I, there's nothing to, to dispute that. Um, just Minnesota with Lucas Gilbert, you know, he'd be a guy to, to watch, but who Indiana turned, who, who, I'm sorry, who Indiana goes to, uh, still a bit of an unknown because their rotation has been up and down as far as mismatching guys. But um, they don't have anybody who can kind of compare to what Nick Gallagher brings against Brian Schaefer. So, yeah, yeah, I guess before we speak to the offenses, you know, we got to give those two pitchers credit because it can be a 1-0, 2-1 ball game with the, the ability that both pitchers have. Gallagher pitched twice against Maryland last year, once in the regular season, once in the Big Ten tournament. Just the quick stats for you. Ten innings, three hits, no runs, 13 strikeouts, and two walks. So Maryland will have to look to figure something out against Gallagher. Now, Iowa's offense, it's maybe the best in the conference. They have three of the four top hit guys in the league and I think Jake Adams is the Big Ten Player of the Year. That'll be announced soon. He finished first in the league in homers and RBIs, tied for first in hits, and then fourth in batting average and runs. Maryland did not see Iowa this year. So tell us a little bit about Adams. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, in the preseason, I was able to, to visit a few campuses, mostly on the, in the western half of the conference. But, you know, I remember uh, Rick Heller saying, you know, if we can just get half of Jake Adams' juke up power, it'll be okay. And, you know, last year for Des Moines area um, community college, he had 25 home runs, and he's right there, 24 home runs. And you know, it's it's so yeah, you know, they they got more than half there. But um, it, it's not typical to see a guy's power translate that like that to the Division One level, especially when they come in with such guy numbers to Duke our ranks. But you know, he has as much raw power as anybody's seen in the conference. You know, Kyle Schwarber included. And the thing that really sticks out for him and coach on the conference say this is just he has a very selective eye. You know, he has a lot of strikeouts. That's just more due to a swing. It's a bit of a long swing, but he has a really good eye on what's a strike and what's a ball. And if he can square one up, it goes a long way. So, but he's not the only story there. You know, he may be the NCAA leader in home runs, but Mason McCoy's having a great year, a great bounce back year. You know, he was a JUCO transfer last year that that they, that they had high expectations on. He set a Northwoods League record for hits two summers ago, and they, they thought he'd be an All-American. He's now playing that level. Um, he's doing great. But you have guys like Ben Norman on the outfield, Robert Newsome in the outfield as well. So it's not just the Jake Adams show. You know, they have a, quite a few guys there in the lineup who can do a good job. And um, so it's going to be a fun matchup, I think, just knowing that they have that offense. Maryland has that pitching staff. I don't think Iowa has the pitching to go as deep in the tournament as others do. Um, of late, they've had Ryan Erickson do really well in the Saturday role. But Coach Heller says Sunday it's kind of a just uh, Johnny Hole staff. They hope to get two, three out innings here and there out of guys. Um, so when you have that kind of mentality for a weekend set, it's kind of hard to see how that can be stretched out over a tournament setting. But but with that offense, it may not matter if Jake Adams can run into a few here and there. Well, I'm personally very excited to see Adams step into the box against Schaefer on Wednesday. That's something to look forward to. The number six seed is the host, Indiana Hoosiers. You mentioned it. Their rotation has been kind of all over the place this year. 
Jonathan Stever has gone through good stretches and bad stretches as their Friday night guy. Indiana has a good offense, but there is that factor of playing at home, which is kind of immeasurable. It is, but, and, and, and I guess it's kind of funny where they have the 10 o'clock game, so they're going to grab the right out of the gate. So it's, you know, is that to an advantage where, you know, guys, people, will people be at work? Will they be able to try, you know, pack for a common field, or does it kind of hurt them by having that 10 o'clock start, even if it is on their home field? So for me, that's kind of one thing to, to look is just how much of a home crowd atmosphere or hometown advantage will they get just because they're playing the first game out of the gate. But, you know, it is an intangible just because they're sleeping in, you know, their own beds. They're, com- they're comfortable with everything. They know how to read balls in that outfield or, you know, the, the backdrop is familiar to them. So it's an intangible that you, you can't see on a stat sheet or kind of just add to other teams. But after all that, you know, they still got to play the game. And you mentioned their rotation has been kind of jumbled a bit. You know, Staver has been up and down. Uh, Paul Mito has been okay of late. Um, it looks like he and Cal Gruger have kind of stabilized rotation best they can. But um, it just it hasn't been a dominant rotation. I think that's why they finished sixth. Uh, you look at that lineup with Luke Miller, Logan Sowers, uh, Craig Deedlow, uh, Matt Lloyd. That's four guys right there with, with at least nine home runs. So, you know, I, Iowa comes in with Jake Adams, but I think Indiana comes in with the most – well, they come in with the most team home runs, but the team with the most home runs threat up and down the lineup. So, if you have that – you would think they could do a bit better this year than sixth, but I think that the pitching has been the question, especially with the bullpen of late. Now, the Hoosiers have gotten hot of late. The most notable win was probably that midweek they had a few weeks ago against Louisville, who was ranked number two in the country at the time. Do you think the Hoosiers have safely played their way into the NCAA tournament? Uh, I, if they went 0-2, I wouldn't be sleeping comfortably if I was Chris Limonis, but I think they have, and it's it, for me. It's that they had three very good Big Ten series wins. They won the road in, or they won the road to beat Michigan. They got a, a weekend series at Bar Carpent against Maryland, as well as against Minnesota. So you add that, they got that marquee win against Louisville. They're playing well of late. Um, the RPI is I think around 29, somewhere there in the, in the low 30s. So everything looks good on paper. Just for me, it's kind of that that overall record isn't as impressive as, as others will in a sixth place in the Big Ten, you know, does that hurt them? But their body of work, I, I think, I think is good enough to qualify as at-large if necessary. The bottom two teams in the Big Ten tournament were probably the two biggest surprises of the season. Northwestern finished seventh at 13-11, and 11, so they'll play Michigan in the first game. And they their Friday night guy, Cooper Weatherby, really interesting story, spent two years in the marching band and on the club baseball team. And now as a senior, he's a Friday night pitcher and is really having a nice year for Northwestern. And the Wildcats, who took two of three at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium just a few weeks ago, are led offensively by Joe Hoshite, who's hitting over 500 in conference play and was just tearing the cover off the ball against Maryland. First of all, how impressed have you been with what Northwestern's done this season just to get into the Big Ten tournament? And do you give them any shot to win a game or two? Yeah, it's no, it's been a, a very impressive season. And as you mentioned, you know, Brian Saver, player of the year, Adams, or sorry, Brian Saver, pitcher of the year, Adams, player of the year. I think you got to consider Spencer Allen as coach of the year. And, you know, usually goes to the, the champion coach, the first place coach. But, you know, there's nobody anywhere who had Northwestern as a Big Ten tournament team, let alone finish the seventh above 500. So the, the job that he did to get the, the players to buy in, to game manage properly, just an incredible job. But, 
you know, I I don't see them going too deep into the tournament. You, you do mention Joe Hoshine in the year that he had. It's just phenomenal. Like, the numbers are, are video game-esque, just dominant. I mean, you add him with Matt Hoffner. You know, Alex Arrow is a very talented freshman. So, the, the offense for me, you know, they have a really good offense. It's just, you know, the, the Cooper Weatherby story, which is outstanding. I mean, you can't make that up. <laughs> that is That aside, just that the pitching is in the air for Northwestern. And you kind of saw that, I think, week one where they were swept by Indiana. But it was a very high-scoring series, and two games where Northwestern led late where they could have won that series and, you know, finished fourth or, or fifth or in the conference. But for me, it, that just, it, was a, it showed the, the lack of depth that they have. And there are some roster hurdles there at Northwestern where they have a 30-man roster, roster opposed to the full 35. So I think in this type of setting where, you know, you've got, you got to win four games at least. And you know, with the rain or with the, with the loss, you know, things get so jumbled up, you have to go to – fourth, fifth, potentially sixth starter. Northwestern doesn't have that. But it's a heck of a story. You know, Joe Hoshite's be fun to watch. And you give Northwestern for down a lot of credit for having the year they had just in his second year of the, re- of the, re- of the rebuilding process. And then the eighth place team is Purdue. And I think they are a similar situation where last year was really disappointing out in West Lafayette. This year's been solid, 29 and 25, 12 and 12 in conference. But just on paper, they don't look deep enough to make any kind of run in this tournament. Yeah, it's kind of the same story. You give Coach Marsh Wozakowski a lot of credit for really turning around that entire culture. You know, I think Purdue just got to a place where you never want to say kids didn't believe or buy in, but when I saw them at Ohio State this year, it just seemed like a different mentality where they played as ugly as could be the first game. They had, I believe, five errors, six wild pitches, so a lot of mental errors, but they came came right back around and won that series, won the Saturday and Sunday game, and they were able to, to watch that Friday game, put it behind them, and get back to the field with, with a new attitude and beat the Buckeyes twice. So stuff like that, I think, kind of speaks to what a head coach can bring to a table. And sometimes it just takes a new voice. And what Mark Wozkowski has done there, it's been, it's been incredible. Just taking a team that went 2-22 and 22 last year in the Big Ten. I think it's the worst season ever, or one, or the second worst as far as winning percentage in the Big Ten with the teams at least playing 12 games. And to come back, be 500, get into the tournament, uh, kind of like Northwestern, just it's a really big stepping stone for Northwestern to get back to where they were five years ago. Now, one question I want to ask you, I think this is kind of interesting. We've gone through all eight teams. What, Which teams do you think have the most to gain and most to lose from this Big Ten tournament? Based on what you've said, Maryland and Indiana are probably your answer for most to lose because you said either of them, if they go 0-2, are on the bubble and in a pretty dangerous spot in the NCAA or for the NCAA tournament. So that's half of the question. And then the other half, do you think maybe a, a, a team, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think a team like Minnesota maybe, if they can get to a Big Ten final, could maybe play its way into the NCAA tournament without winning the Big Ten tournament? You know, I, I did have that same, that same thought this morning where if you look at Minnesota's bracket, you know, as a three seed, they get Michigan, they get I mean, they start with the sixth seed, Indiana. So right there off the bat, you know, if they win, and we'll say that if they win the chalk walks, they have two games against RPI top 50. So right there, you know, that's a help the resume. But I think just as far as the team that has the most to gain and lose, I think it can be Maryland for both. You know, we're 0-2, you know, maybe see it next year. But if they go to that tournament 4-0, just with the rotation, that offense, I, I can see that truly being a start to a, a deep NCAA run that ends at Omaha. Just, you know, I believe that roster 1-35, you know, they can hit for power. We've seen this year that they have speed on the bases. They can pick it in the outfield. They have a rotation that whatever things go on, you can go one, two, three, and get you through a regional and super regional. So 
you know, I don't know if it's really fair to say Maryland for both, but I think it's true where an 0-2 hasn't been a dangerous spot. But if they become Big Ten tournament champions, that can be the catalyst to a very deep June run. Now I have to put you on the spot here. Give me a prediction for this tournament. Who do you have winning, maybe facing off in the championship? Uh, I was trying to, if in my head, kind of just map out the bracket. And it's it's weird where in the Big Ten, it's not a straight four-team pool and you play the champion to do that flip-flop thing. So I don't know if it can really match up this way. But right. I haven't done the whole studying. But, you know, I, I do think Maryland does make a deep run. So, you know, I'm going to take them out of the one, four, five, and eight. I think, like I said, Brian Sabre is the, the one guy that can neutralize Jake Adams at Iowa offense. Um, and I think, honestly, if you're Darren Erstad, being Nebraska, you don't really sell out to win the Big Ten tournament. We saw Elias from Ohio State win four games in 30 hours, and I saw them the next week in Louisville, and they were a shell of the team. And then their head coach, Greg Bills, said they didn't have the same offense. They spent everything just trying to get to the NCAA tournament that you know they had nothing left. So I don't see – Really, Indiana going all out, Michigan going out, just because I think they're safely in that mix next week you know, or the week after to play in a regional. So I see Maryland, and I'm going to go Minnesota. You know, I'm going to believe in that offense one through nine. Uh, Lucas Gilbreth, I think, is going to do a good job of getting Indiana that first game. And, you know, Brett Solis does have the ability to be a good number two, and I think the offense may carry them, especially in that ballpark where it, it plays small, but there's a lot of room in that outfield for doubles and, and triples to, to line up. So, I'm going to go uh, Minnesota, Maryland, and, uh, you know, it, it's not play, not being home or playing the favorites here, but I think Maryland does get it through. I, I think <laughs> you're going to see like a, I don't know, maybe like a Hunter Parsons or Andrew Miller just come up big at a championship and just have it enough to turn back Minnesota. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with Minnesota, Maryland for what should be a really fun week here in Bloomington. Well, playing to the crowd, I like it. Chris Webb, lead writer for 10innings.com. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, and we look forward to seeing you this week in Bloomington. No, it's, it's always a great conversation, you guys. You know, thank you for having me. And, yes, I, I look forward to seeing you guys, and hopefully the church league looks smart. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing you guys here in Bloomington and seeing the, the guys in the field. Chris Webb for joining Justin on that interview. Really great stuff, Justin. And we're back here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast after I had to bring us back after Jake and Justin just continued to argue with each other. It's really, really a sad, sad thing well, to watch. Well, these Jake, two, Jake these two, this two old married couple just bicker. I mean, it's really like you guys should all see it after the show. These guys just, just really don't even speak. Well, when they turn it on, I tell you what, they're absolute pros. You know, I forgot to mention this. I'm really honored to be joined by two former Maryland students. On this podcast, yeah, there's oh, no doubt. Goodness That's congratulations awesome. to Jake Eisenberg uh, yeah. for graduating from Maryland. I guess I guess MBN is technically no longer a student venture only. No, I graduated from Maryland about what two years, three years, ooh, three years ago. Oh boy. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Dating yourself a little too. Old guy Eisenberg about three hours ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah this this past weekend. Anyway, uh, we'll finish up this podcast wrapping up pretty quickly, but we're going to take a look at the first round of games for this Big Ten tournament. Um, if you hadn't had the chance, uh, head to MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. We just posted our Big Ten tournament preview. Um, text breakdowns of all the eight teams that are in the tournament. If you got tired of listening, you can read about all these eight teams. But the seeding is as follows. Nebraska, number one. Michigan, number two. Minnesota, number three. Maryland, number four. Iowa, number five. Indiana, number six. Northwestern, number seven. And Purdue, number eight. So we'll start with the first matchup, uh, I guess the one seed, that is. Uh, Nebraska taking on number eight, Purdue. Who's our winner in that one? Um, I will pick Nebraska. I think Purdue is a great story. 
Um, I do not think they're going to have the hitting to get past Nebraska. I think Cohen C will rebound, and Nebraska will take it. Uh, I predict a rain out. <laughs> <laughs> I will take Purdue. Uh, I have not been happy with the way Jay Cohen C has been pitching lately, um, and I, I just I like the upset here. I, I don't disagree. I'm, I'm going to take Purdue also because I think – Wow, double not so fast. Double not so fast because I think even though – Just the casual 8 over 1 even in the first though, round. <laughs> even though <laughs> – here is the Big Ten. <laughs> even, though, even though Nebraska is the number one seed and I think they have one of the best offenses of the year, we've, we've talked about Hohenstee not being that Friday night guy that you expect. Tanner Andrews, meanwhile, for Purdue – has been really strong over the past few weeks. 8-4 and four with a 4.30 ERA, sure. Not maybe the best numbers optically, but he's been really strong over the past few weeks, and I think that Purdue has a shot here. Nebraska's bullpen has blown some leads of late, too, and I think Purdue's pretty battle-tested. I mean, playing 20 innings in one day against Minnesota last weekend, I mean, you don't get better experience than that. Nebraska, they didn't finish the season great, and... Look, pardon my uh, pun here, but I think the Cornhuskers don't really have the mojo they had early in the season. <laughs> they still have the mojo haggy. They do. In they case do. in case people didn't get your pun. Anyway, so, so I guess no, I guess So Nebraska's going to win. But continue. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> Justin and I take the upset there. Taylor takes the favorite. Head to the second set number 2 seed game, Michigan taking on Northwestern. That'll be at 1:30 p.m. tomorrow. The first game by the way, Nebraska and Purdue, that's at 5 o'clock tomorrow right before Maryland's game. So 1.30 p.m. tomorrow, Michigan against Northwestern. I'll start here. I picked Michigan as the favorite for this tournament, so I'm going to take them in this first round. I agree. I think Jasky throws a good game. And Cooper Weatherby's a great story. Joe Hoshite's been hitting over 500 in Big Ten play. I mean, he tore the cover off the ball when Northwestern came to Maryland a few weekends ago. Uh, I just don't think the talent's there. I think it's Michigan. I'm going to pick Michigan as well. I think Oliver Jasky will be good. I think the key to the game for Northwestern, if they want to pull an upset, is the first two innings with Jasky. I think once that guy's in a groove, it's very tough. And once he, they get to the bullpen, it's also going to be tough for them to score. They need to get on the board first to win the game tomorrow, to give Cooper Weatherby a little bit of confidence um, to pitch behind. I do think that, that Northwestern, maybe unlike Nebraska, has a little bit of mojo and could make some noise in that in that top half of the bracket. I worry a little bit as no about Northwestern um, having that just happy to be here mentality. That will be interesting to watch. I, I, I think you could say the same for Purdue. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing Northwestern has going for it is they finished so well. I think they're going to be more – you know, it's not like they – just got in and it was a lucky break. Like they won themselves in. They won. The, they went to Maryland and won. They swept Rutgers. It did it very convincingly. I think they're going to be very focused and ready to go. But I just don't think they have enough to get past Michigan. Okay, the number three seed versus number six seed, Minnesota against Indiana. This is the first game. Kicks off the tournament tomorrow morning, Wednesday at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. This is an interesting one because you have an Indiana team playing on their home turf, opening the tournament. Jonathan Stever has been pretty sharp, but you have Lucas Gilbert on the other side for Minnesota. I'm going to take the Golden Gophers over the hometown favorite, Indiana Hoosiers. I'm going to take Minnesota as well. I think Gilbert is the key. I think when you have a starter that's that good, it is going to be very hard. I, I keep going back to this morning thing, but I really think just after watching two Big Ten tournaments and watching teams struggle to hit in the morning, especially with a guy like that, if Stever is not really, if Stever's not the way we saw him a couple weeks ago for three innings when he was awesome, 
if he's not like that and can, can't go pitch to pitch with Gilbreth, like we saw how Kyle Hart couldn't go pitch to pitch with Schwarm last year, right. I think Minnesota will win the game, and I'll pick them to win the game. Do you give any credence to the idea that the time doesn't affect Minnesota very much because they're used to central time? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not really. I mean, I, I don't really know what that means. I, to don't, be, I don't get it. Because they're normally in central time and they're moving to eastern time? Right. So you're saying that's an advantage? Potentially, because it's not as early for them as it is for... I don't think it's going to matter. I think the fact that they have the second best... I was just throwing it out there. No, I know. (laughs) I think the fact that they have the second best starting pitcher in the conference, which I think Gilbreth is... Right, actual tangible advantages instead of this made-up time thing that I came up with. Correct. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, and then Indiana's finish has been a little uneven, I think, except for that game against Louisville. Um, And conference-wide, it's been a little uneven, so... Um, I'll take the Golden Gophers, although they lost a series in their home field with the Big Ten title on the line. We'll be interested to see how they respond to that. By the way, my point there with the time was that with that Taylor brought up that whichever team wakes up first and Minnesota might have advantage waking up first, quote-unquote. Anyway, who do you choose three versus six, Justin? Uh, I'll go Minnesota. I think, as you mentioned, the starting pitching is the key, but I just can't figure out Jonathan Stever. I mean, we saw him for three innings, right, uh, about a month ago, Friday night, before it started raining. And I don't know about you, but my reaction after those three innings were those are the best three innings I've seen anyone throw this year. I mean, yeah, Maryland, awesome. Maryland's not scoring tonight. And then you look at box scores around the season, and it's six runs, five runs, and then a shutout. And it's just hard to figure out. So I think Stever, without a doubt, has the capability to throw a great game and win it for Indiana. But the inconsistency bothers me, and that's why I go Minnesota. Now, we talked earlier about how Indiana's offense is a bit of an advantage because they're playing in their ballpark, and they're a home-run hitting team. Also going for Stever. Has one of the best strikeout-to-walk ratios in the entire nation. Was actually leading the country in that category a while. So I think that'll be one of the more exciting matchups to watch. And, well, it kicks off the tournament tomorrow morning. And by the way, Minnesota's only hit 30 home runs this year, so they could be disadvantaged by playing in this ballpark because home runs are not their thing. And... But, th- but they'll be awake, apparently. So <laughs> The final matchup, the one that you more than likely care most about if you're listening to this podcast, number four seed Maryland taking on the number five seed Iowa. That's at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time Wednesday night. This is another interesting one because it pits the Terps against Nick Gallagher, who Maryland faced in the semifinal of the Big Ten tournament last year, and Gallagher really shut the Terps down, went six innings, did not allow a run, only allowed one hit, struck out nine, and walked one in relief of Shane Ritter, and, well, that's how Iowa progressed to the Big Ten tournament final last year. But you can't pick against Brian Schaefer, the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, so Maryland wins this first-round game for me. You also have to throw in the fact that Gallagher had a scoreless appearance against Maryland in the regular season last year, so he's had their number. Um, I agree. I think Maryland wins the game. I think the question here is uh, who doesn't fall asleep first, if that's (laughs) fair. Um, I think Iowa in this ballpark would have the advantage against every single team except Maryland the first game against Brian Schaefer. I mean, I, I just think he's too good. I think Schaefer wins the game for Maryland. I think he's able to, to get the best of Adams, who I think is going to be a really tough guy to get out, obviously. I think the key to the game for Maryland is, um, is Marty Costas. I think Marty Costas being able to get his swing off, which I don't think he's done as much over the past month, um, is going to be really key. Um, I think he's uh, an offensive guy at this level that Iowa has not seen. Maryland has not seen Jake Adams, obviously, but I think Costas being the, that three-hole hitter for Maryland is going to be key for them really getting their offense off. Um, I think Maryland needs a long start from Brian Schaefer. I think Iowa actually needs a long start from Nick Gallagher more. I think their bullpen is weaker than Maryland's. The other thing to take into account is two very, very good coaches in this matchup. I think 
their Maryland staff has a lot of respect for what Rick Heller does at Iowa, and I think the same can be said for Iowa um, to Maryland. So that'll be interesting tactically with, with Heller and Chef, two really just old, old-school baseball guys um, who really coach up their teams pretty well. Also, two teams that have not played each other in the regular season, so this is their first meeting in 2017. So the last thing we'll do on this podcast is we'll pick our Big Ten tournament final and our Big Ten tournament champion. First, Justin, your final. I think that Maryland is going to make the finals. I think they turn things around, start playing a better game. But we discussed it a few minutes ago. I think Michigan is just built for a tournament like this. They have the bullpen depth, a really solid offense. So I'm going to go big blue against the Terps in the championship. You know, I we I swear we didn't discuss this before, but that's the exact same final that I had, given that Michigan is the favorite. And I think that Maryland, even though they've struggled the last four weeks, have the pitching that's built for this tournament. You have Brian Schaefer, then Tyler Blome. Taylor Bloom has looked really sharp over the past few weeks. I think the other team that could make a splash, other than Nebraska being the number one overall seed, would be Minnesota, even though they don't hit that many home runs. Um, Iowa's in there, too, because I, they have Jake Adams. I actually think that the winner of the Maryland-Iowa game will make it to the title game. I think that's a I think that's a fair statement. Ooh, Not part of fair or foul, wow. but a, a late little addition. So I guess both of our finals are Maryland Michigan, which is a rematch of the twenty fifteen Big Ten tournament final up at Target Field. Michigan won that battle five to four. What do you think happens this time around? Should we get that same final that we're both predicting? Well, I think Michigan's going to win. Uh just because right now trying to think about who would start a fourth or fifth game in that many days for Maryland probably be Taylor Styles, but I can't really figure out in my head. I think Michigan's got four solid guys, and their bullpen is good enough to staff a game if they need to. I think a lot of it depends on whether or not either of those teams have to play the extra game, whether they need to play four games and their fifth game is in that Big Ten tournament final, or they motor through their bracket and just stay in the winner's bracket and go straight in, because that obviously right, takes so out another arm, taxes the bullpen a little bit let's more. Let's say they both go through 3-0. and and get to it right. Think about what's happened this year. You mentioned it. Michigan's had one consistent midweek starter. For Maryland, it's been a merry-go-round. So you would think advantage Michigan there. I think I think advantage would go to Michigan as well. The one good thing for both sides is that, I mean, first off, I think Michigan is safely in the tournament. Maryland, should they make it to the final or even pass the first round, would be safely in the tournament. So neither of them would be playing for their lives, so to speak. I think Maryland would have the most to gain maybe by winning the conference title. I don't know. There, there's been some talk that Michigan could have the potential to host a regional if they run through the Big Ten tournament. I don't necessarily think that's the case because I think the other regional hosts are a little bit too strong for Michigan to jump into that category just from the tournament. But And, and they didn't even win the regular season in the Big Ten. Right, and I think that plays into it a decent amount. I agree because I think Maryland right now, by a lot of people, is – actually projected as a three seed not a two seed anymore I think by winning the Big Ten tournament they could get back to a two seed whereas I think no matter what happens Michigan's locked in as a high two seed so that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast first off a special thank you to Taylor Smythe for joining us at the top of the show and also to Chris Webb from 10innings.com for joining us in the middle of the show to talk about things all Big Ten tournament Big Ten tournament will be this entire week in Bloomington Indiana at Bart Kaufman Field starting tomorrow at 10 a.m. with Indiana and Minnesota. The Terps play at 8.30 Eastern time against Iowa. Maryland, the four seed, taking on the five seed, Iowa. 
First pitch at 8.30. We'll be on the air at 8 o'clock with Terps pregame, and we'll keep you updated on the schedule the rest of the way. As always, you can follow us on Twitter for updates at MDBaseballNet, and check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Also be sure to go to our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. Check out our Big Ten tournament preview, as well as the other content we've put up there over the last few weeks. So tomorrow, Justin, 8.30 Eastern time, Big Ten tournament action, postseason play underway. The road to Omaha starts now. Can't wait. So long. Hey, hey,